Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for April, May and June 2013. Titled, Seek the Lord and Live, Major Lessons from Minor Prophets, it's brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Lesson 13 for June 22-28, to 28, Lest We Forget, The Book of Malachi. Sabbath afternoon, June 22. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we open your word again today and we look at this little book, Malachi, one of the minor prophets. Out of it, Lord, comes so many things that we need to remember. And as we open your word this week, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us and bless us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Our memory text this week is Malachi chapter 1, verse 11. My name will be great among the nations, from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. Let's read that again, Malachi chapter 1 verse 11. My name will be great among the nations, from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. And our key thought for this week is, Malachi teaches us the extent of God's commitment to his people, but also points to their sacred responsibilities. Malachi's name means my messenger. We know nothing about him except that which we can glean from his short book, which brings the section of the Old Testament called the Minor Prophets, or the Book of Twelve, to an end. He is also the last book of the Old Testament. The central message of Malachi is that while God revealed his love for his people throughout their history, that love also made his people accountable to him. The Lord expected the chosen nation and its leaders to obey his commands. Though open idolatry apparently had vanished, the book appears to have been written for Jews who had returned from Babylonian captivity, the people were not living up to the expectations of the covenant. Though they were going through the motions of religious observance, it was a dry formalism without heartfelt conviction. May we as a church take heed. Sunday, June 23, Great is the Lord. Question. Read Malachi chapter 1. What problem is the prophet addressing? How today might we be guilty of the same attitude that led to this rebuke? Let's begin in Malachi chapter 1, verse 1. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, In what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother? says the Lord. Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated, and laid waste his mountains and his heritage, for the jackals of the wilderness, even though Edom has said, We have been impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus, says the Lord of hosts, They may build, but I will throw down. 
they shall be called the territory of wickedness, and the people against whom the Lord will have indignation for ever. Your eyes shall see, and you shall say, The Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel. A son honours his father, and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honour? And if I am a master, where is my reverence? says the Lord of hosts. To you priests who despise my name, yet you say, In what way have we despised your name? You offer defiled food on my altar, but say, In what way have we defiled you? By saying, The table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? But now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us. While this is being done by your hands, will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you who would shut the doors, so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. For, from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place incense shall be offered to my name, and a pure offering, for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it, in that you say, The table of the Lord is defiled, and its fruit, its food, is, is contemptible. You also say, Oh, what a weariness, and you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts, and you bring the stolen, the lame, and the sick. Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand? says the Lord. But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Malachi contrasts God's love for his people with the attitude of the priests whom he charges with the sin of contempt for God's holy name. When performing their duties in the temple, these descendants of Aaron accepted lame, blind, and sick animals for sacrifices to the Lord. In this way, the people had been led astray into thinking that sacrifices were not important. Yet God instructed Aaron and his sons in the wilderness that sacrificial animals should be physically perfect without blemish. And we can read about that in Leviticus chapter 1, and verses 1 to 3. Now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock, of the herd, and of the flock. If his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, before the Lord. And also in uh, Leviticus chapter 22 and verse 19, you shall offer on your own free will a male without blemish from the cattle, from the sheep, or from the goats. The prophet then lists three important reasons why God deserved to be honored and respected by the people of Israel. First, 
God is their father. Just as children should honour their parents, so the people must respect their father in heaven. Second, God is their master and lord. Just as servants obey their masters, so God's people should treat him in the same way. Third, the Lord is a great king, and an earthly king would not accept a defective or sickly animal as a gift from one of his subjects. So, the prophet asks why the people would present such an animal to the king of kings, the one who rules over the whole world. What, of course, makes their actions even more heinous in the sight of God is that these sacrifices were all pointing to Jesus, the spotless Son of God, as we read in First Peter chapter 1 and verses 18 and 19, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And also John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. The animals were to be without blemish because Jesus had to be without blemish in order to be our perfect sacrifice. Ellen White writes in Manuscript Releases, Volume 10, page 385, To the honour and glory of God, His beloved Son, the surety, the substitute, was delivered up and descended into the prison house of the grave. The new tomb enclosed Him in its rocky chambers. If one single sin had tainted his character, the stone would never have been rolled away from the door of his rocky chamber, and the world with its burden of guilt would have perished. Is there any wonder, then, that the sacrifices which pointed to Jesus had to be perfect? Monday, June 24, Loving and Respecting Others God's voice, which dominates Malachi's book, is the voice of a loving father who pleads with his children. When the people raise questions and make complaints, he is ready to dialogue with them. Most of the issues discussed by God and his people have to do with a few basic attitudes. Question. Malachi chapter 2 though a number of issues are dealt with for what practice is the Lord especially condemning them. Well, let's read the whole chapter. And now, O priests, this commandment is for you. If you will not hear, and if you will not take it to heart, to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have cursed them already, because you do not take it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your descendants and spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your solemn feasts, and one will take you away with it. Then you shall know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him, one of life and peace, and I gave them to him that he might fear me. So he feared me and was reverent before my name. 
The law of truth was in his mouth, and injustice was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity, and turned many away from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge, and people should seek the law from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have departed from the way. You have caused many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, I also have made you contemptible and base before all the people, because you have not kept my ways, but have shown partiality in the law. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why do we drill treacherously with one another by profaning the covenant of the fathers? Judah has dealt treacherously, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem, for Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution which he loves. He has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this, being awake and aware, yet who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying, so he does not regard the offering any more, nor receive it with good will from your hands. Yet you say, For what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, for which you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garments with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit, that you do not deal treacherously. You have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet you say, In what way have we wearied you? in that you say, Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or, where is the God of justice? Particularly looking at verses 13 to 16. And I'll read those again. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying. So he does not regard the offering any more, nor receive it with good will from your hands. Yet you say, For what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit, that you do not deal treacherously. While all the Jews recognize God as Father and Creator in their worship, not all of them were living as if God was the Lord of their lives. Malachi takes marriage as an example to illustrate the people's lack of faithfulness and commitment to one another. According to the Bible, marriage is a sacred institution established by God. The people of Israel were warned against marrying outside the faith because by doing so they would compromise their commitments with the Lord and fall into idolatry. And we can read about that in Joshua 
chapter 23, verses 12 and 13. Or else, if indeed you do go back and cling to the remnant of these nations, these that remain among you, and make marriages with them, and go into them, and they to you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps to you, and scourges on your sides, and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. God had intended that marriage should be a commitment for life. In Malachi's time, however, many men were breaking the vows that they had made in early in life with, as the prophet said, the wife of your youth. Seeing their wives grow older, the husbands would divorce them and marry younger and more attractive women. For this reason, God says, he hates divorce, in verse 16. This strong statement reveals how serious God is about marriage commitments, which so often people take very lightly. The strict rules in the Bible about divorce show just how sacred marriage is. Because divorce was legal in Israel, and we can see that in Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verses 1 to 4, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favour in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house, when she has departed from his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, if the latter husband detests her and writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies, who took her as his wife, then... Her former husband who divorced her must not take her back to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Because divorce was legal in Israel, some men did not hesitate to break their marriage vows. Toward the end of the Old Testament period, divorce appears to have become common, somewhat like in many countries today. Yet, in the Bible, marriage is consistently presented as a holy covenant before God. We read that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 to 33. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the saviour of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, 
and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So, to finish the day, read Malachi chapter 2 and verse 17. What warning should be taken from these words, especially in the context of the day's lesson, or even in general? How could we be in danger of harbouring that same attitude, even unconsciously? You have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, In what way have we wearied him? In that you say, Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or, Where is the God of justice? Tuesday, June 25, Tithe in the Storehouse Question. Read Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. What is God saying to his people here? What specific elements are found in these verses? And why would they all be tied together? That is, in what ways are these things all related to each other? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts, but who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord, as in the days of old, as in former years. And I will come near you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, and against those who turn away an alien because they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, In what way shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, In what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven, and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. With these verses, God restates the basic message of the minor prophets. His love remains constant and unwavering. In verse 7, God's call is heard once more. Return to me, and I will return to you. The people then ask, How shall we return? This question is similar to the one in Micah chapter 6, verse 6, about the bringing of sacrifices to God. In the case of Malachi, however, a specific answer is given, and, surprisingly enough, it has to do with the question of the people's tithing or lack thereof. In fact, they are accused of stealing from what belongs to God. 
This happened because they were not faithful in the returning of their tithes and offerings. The custom of tithing, or giving 10% of one's income, is presented in the Bible as a reminder that God owns everything and all that people have comes from Him. The tithe was used in Israel to support the Levites who ministered in the temple. To neglect the return of one's tithe is, according to Malachi, the same as robbing God. Malachi 3.10 is one of the rare scriptures in which God challenges people to put him to the test. At the waters of Meribah in the wilderness, the children of Israel repeatedly tested God's patience, which is what he was angry about. And we read about this in Psalm 95, verses 8 to 11. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me. They tried me though they saw my work. For forty years I was grieved with that generation, and said, It is a people who go astray in their hearts, and they do not know my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Here, however, God is inviting Israel to put him to the test. He wants the people to see that they can trust him in this matter, which, according to the texts, is something of great spiritual significance. So to finish today, how does the act of tithing, or of giving offerings for that matter, strengthen you spiritually? In other words, when you cheat on tithe, why are you cheating yourself, not just God? Wednesday, June 26, A Scroll of Remembrance In Malachi chapter 3, verses 13 to 18, the people complain that the Lord did not care about the nation's sins. Those who practiced evil and injustice appeared to escape unnoticed, and thus many wondered why they should serve the Lord and live righteously when evil seemed to go unpunished. Question Read Malachi chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Why is it easy to understand that complaint? We'll, we'll begin with verse 13. Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said, it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance, and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed, for those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. Question. How does the Lord respond? Verses 16 to 18. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him. For those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On the day that I make them my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. It is easy in this world when so much injustice exists to wonder if justice ever will be done. The message here, however, is that God knows of all these things. 
and he will reward those who are faithful to him. Question. The expression, a scroll or book of remembrance, is found only in Scripture. What do the following passages teach about God's books in which are recorded people's names and deeds? First of all, Exodus chapter 32 and verse 32. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. And Psalm 139 and verse 16. And that reads, Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there was none of them. And Isaiah chapter 4 and verse 3. And that reads, And it shall come to pass that he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy, everyone who is recorded among the living in Jerusalem. And Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 6, Behold, it is written before me, I will not keep silence, but will repay, even repay into their bosom. And Revelation Chapter 20, verses 11 to 15. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works, by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The bottom line is that God the Lord knows all things. He knows those who are his, as expressed in Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having his seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And those he knows those who are his and those who are not. All we can do is, as sinners... Claim his righteousness, claim his promises of forgiveness and power, and then, relying on Christ's merits, die to self and live for him and others, knowing that, in the end, our only hope is in his grace. If we place our hope in ourselves, we are sure to be disappointed, one way or another. Thursday, June 27, The Son of Righteousness On a previous occasion, the people asked, Where is the God of justice? in Malachi 2.17. In the beginning of chapter 4, a solemn assurance is given that one day God will execute his judgment on the world. As a result, the proud will be destroyed along with the wicked, just as stubble is consumed in fire. 
Stubble is the unusable part of the grain and is consumed in only seconds when thrown into a blazing furnace. On the day of the Lord, fire will be the agent of destruction, just as water was in Noah's day. Question. Read Malachi chapter 4. What great contrast is presented here between the saved and the lost? And also look at Deuteronomy 30.19 and John 3.16. First of all, Malachi chapter 4. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. That will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. And you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Let's also look at Deuteronomy chapter 30. And verse 19. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, cursing and blessing. Therefore, choose life, that both you and your descendants may live. And then there's John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. While the fate of the wicked is described in verse 1, verse 2 focuses on future blessings of the righteous. The question, where is the God of justice, is answered again, but this time by the assurance of a coming day when the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. The rising of the Son of Righteousness is a metaphor for the dawn of a new day, one that marks a new era in the history of salvation. At this time, once and for all, evil will be destroyed forever. The saved will enjoy the ultimate fruit of what Christ has accomplished for them, and the universe will be rendered eternally secure. Malachi closes his book with two admonitions that characterize biblical faith. The first is a call to remember God's revelation through Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Bible, and the foundation of the Old Testament. The second admonition speaks of the prophetic role of Elijah. Filled with the Holy Spirit, this prophet called people to repent and return to God. Although Jesus himself saw John the Baptist as a fulfillment of that prophecy in Matthew chapter 11, we also believe it has a fulfillment at the end of time, when God will have a people who fearlessly will proclaim his message to the world. In Councils on Health, page 72 and 73, we read, Those who are to prepare the way for the second coming of Christ are represented by faithful Elijah, as John came in the spirit of Elijah to prepare the way for Christ's first advent. And so the question for today is, how are we to fulfill this sacred role? How well are we doing in this task?
Friday, June 28. From the book Prophets and Kings, written by Ellen White, page 707 and 708. God blesses the work of men's hands, that they may return to him his portion. He gives them the sunshine and the rain. He causes vegetation to flourish. He gives health and ability to acquire means. Every blessing comes from his bountiful hand, and he desires men and women to show their gratitude by returning him a portion in tithes and offerings, in thank offerings, in free will offerings, in trespass offerings. They are to devote their means to his servants, that his vineyard may not remain a barren waste. They are to study what the Lord would do were he in their place. They are to take all difficult matters to him in prayer. They are to reveal an unselfish interest in the building up of his work in all parts of the world. And that brings us to our four discussion questions for this week. 1. Dwell more on the Bible and marriage. Because marriage itself is so sacred, something created by God himself, it comes with some very strict guidelines about what is biblically permitted to dissolve it. After all, how sacred, how important would marriage be where it easily ended? If you could get out of it for the most trivial of reasons, then marriage itself would be trivial. How do the strict rules against ending a marriage prove just how special it is? 2. As a class, carefully go over Malachi chapter 2 and verse 17. What do we as Seventh-day Adventists, with our understanding of the pre-Advent judgment, have to say to those who might be uttering the same sentiments expressed in this verse? 3. Malachi 4 talks about the ultimate destruction of the lost. Nothing remains. How does this teaching contrast with the idea of an eternally burning hellfire? Why is the contrast between these two views a good example of the ways in which false doctrine can lead to a false understanding about the character of God? For, in his classic work, The Grand Inquisitor, Russian writer Dostoevsky depicted the institution of the Church in his time as having things so well under control that it did not need Christ any more. Are we facing that same danger today? If so, how so? How might this danger be more subtle than we realise? And that brings us to Inside Story, our mission story for this week. It's titled, Yusha's Hope. Yusha returned home after a long day selling garlic on the streets of Mumbai, India, where she lives. She placed her basket on the dirt floor inside the family's one-room home. The box where she kept the family's few clothes was open, its contents strewn about. She knew that her husband had searched it for something to sell to buy alcohol. He had already sold everything else the family had owned, a chair, a blanket, her cooking pot. She folded the remaining clothes and replaced the box top. Yusha worked hard to feed her growing family. Her husband's meagre earnings went to buy alcohol, and when that wasn't enough, he took Yusha's earnings as well. If she resisted, he beat her. Her hope for a better life spiralled into depression. 
One day she heard singing from a neighbour's home. She heard singing the next day too, but she was too shy to ask what was happening, so she listened from her doorway. When Usha heard singing again, she walked to her neighbour's home and sat down on the packed earth to listen as the women sang about someone called Jesus. Who is this Jesus? Usha wondered. A man stood to talk. As he spoke, Usha felt peace wash over her. She returned the next day to hear more. She found hope and faith amid the despair of her life as she learned about the Saviour who loves her. She accepted Jesus as her Redeemer. Life was still difficult, but her heart was at peace. Usha's husband became sick from an alcohol-related disease and died, leaving Usha and her three young children. The pastor visited her and urged her to send her children to school, but Usha could hardly feed them. How could she pay their school fees? There's a way, the pastor said. If you can pay half of your children's tuition, a sponsor can pay the rest. They can study at La Sengane Adventist School. Osha allowed herself to hope that her children might have a decent future after all. With no one taking her money to buy alcohol, perhaps she could earn enough to send her children to school. Osha misses her children, but she knows they are safe and will have a better life. Often she sacrifices her own food to pay the children's tuition, but she knows that God is caring for her. A recent 13th Sabbath offering is helping to build a new classroom block at the Adventist school the children go to. Thank you for helping to make it possible for children in northwestern India to prepare for a brighter future and find hope in Jesus. This week's reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide has been brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Your reader has been Dr. Percy Harold. Remember, God is always faithful.